the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Don't have time to go on SoCal Live today? Leave Scott a voicemail at 213-537-3812. That's 213-537-3812. Welcome, everybody, to Southern California Live. I am Scott Furrow. Great to be with you today, as I am each and every weekday, 3 to 5, right here on this station. It's great to be with you on this Tuesday. It's getting hot. We're going to have a hot week outside. Hope you have your your Gatorade. What's your favorite flavor of Gatorade? Mine is lemon lime. I just like the old Gatorade. I remember when there was only lemon lime. That was it. And then they came out with that orange and it was all right. And now there's all these flavors. And I guess they're coming out with flavors, you know, that you're supposed to uh, drink before you exercise. And then you drink one while you're exercising. And then you drink one while you're sitting on the couch recovering. You know, marketing, I just, I don't know. But uh, anyway, enjoy your your day. You can join our conversation anytime, 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557 is the number. And you can send me an email at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. I got several emails from the last hour. I'll get to those uh, in a little bit here, I think. Uh, there's some breaking news out there. We need like a uh, Wilbur. We need some kind of noise for for breaking news on the show. You know, usually usually by the afternoon, Wilbert's our producer, our fabulous producer of Southern California Live, and uh, usually you know by the afternoon, most of the news has broken. But once in a while, uh, comes out. Uh, so this is a big story. Um, former Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev passed away today. And, um, you know, if you're old enough to remember Gorbachev, that probably triggers just some different thoughts uh, from a different time and uh, a different era in American life. Uh, Maybe not that much different than it is now. Somebody was posting this picture of uh, Gorbachev walking uh, through Red Square somewhere, and behind him is this uh, KGB agent with a lot of hair who is Vladimir Putin. And he's just like right there. And, uh, you know, Putin was uh, not on the scene for a while after Gorbachev passed away and after the fall of the Soviet Union. But Putin today is acting an awful lot like uh, the old Soviet leaders of the past. And sometimes the countries change and, you know, the names change and the flag changes, but the overall way of doing business doesn't necessarily change. And I think that's happened. Gorbachev, to his credit, um, really did make some changes. I mean, ultimately, he brought about the end of the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union was collapsing anyway. Gorbachev recognized that. He also recognized the need for freedom that the Russian people had. There are these commercials out. They wouldn't make any sense on the radio now, but that I've never seen until recently. Somebody's been putting these these old Soviet commercials with Gorbachev out, and it is Gorbachev enjoying a pizza at Pizza Hut, at the Russian version of Pizza Hut. And it's a Pizza Hut commercial. And what's interesting about it is the the theme of the commercial is that outside of Pizza Hut, you don't have any choices. You don't have choices of what to wear. You don't have choices of what car to drive. You don't have choices of even uh, the whole bunch of stuff. But inside Pizza Hut, you can pick your toppings. And Gorbachev, to his credit, in an advertisement that was really mocking 
communism, socialism, the way of life in the Soviet Union. Gorbachev sat there for that, and he did it. And that he was different. He was different than all of the other Soviet leaders. And uh, so there's a couple of interesting things about Gorbachev that I'll say here. Another one, I'll get to this in a minute, but Gorbachev, if he died, since he died, um, if he does not come back to life in three days, then I guess you can write him off as the Antichrist. You know, he's, I'm not even joking about it. If you think it's funny, there are people, there are books written. You can find them in old bookstores. You can Google it where Gorbachev was the Antichrist. And the reason people thought he was the Antichrist really was the birthmark. He had a birthmark on his head. If you ever see a picture of him, he's, he's mostly bald. He's got, a, he's got this birthmark on the top of his head, and people are like, oh, well, he must be the Antichrist, which makes no sense at all. <laughs> Just It doesn't make any sense. You know, it, it was driven by the idea that he wanted to come and make peace, and people would say that, well, he wants to make peace, but really deep down he's building up for war, and they'd, they'd make this case. I'll talk about that in a minute. But back to the uh, the history of it, you know, and, and the point there being is, got you know, prophecy and the things that people say sometimes, you know, we just can't do that. It's ridiculous. You know, we need to be astute about what the Antichrist would look for, uh, would look like, and uh, what those things mean. But you can't just throw it down. I mean, people thought Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist. You know why? Because his name was Ronald Wilson Reagan, and there's six letters in each of his three names. Six, six, six. Well, he must be the Antichrist then. His name is Ronald Wilson Reagan. That must be what six—it doesn't—it just—and people thought that because Reagan was incredibly popular— and Reagan, in a part of that time, was bringing peace to the world. You know, at the end of the Cold War, there are things happening at the end of the Reagan administration that were unimaginable at the beginning of it. And Gorbachev and Reagan and Margaret Thatcher, Pope John Paul II, there were certain world leaders at the time who, you know, I wish we had that kind of caliber of leader. I'm, I don't think we do uh, right now, handling a lot of our stuff. And... One of the the memories I think that is significant is when Gorbachev came to power, he talked about making changes. And lots of Soviet leaders had talked about making changes. And some of them tried. And then what typically happened to you in the Soviet Union is that uh, if you were a leader and you were going against the wishes of the party leaders, the oligarchy and the people in charge, is that you would develop a cold and uh, you would disappear for a while and then you would die of said cold. Uh, in kind of mysterious ways. Uh, Russian leaders kept dying when in the beginning of uh, the 1980s, so much that Reagan once said, I would love to get something done with Russia, but the leaders keep dying on me. And uh, I think three of them uh, died. Uh, my hist- I took a great class at college. It was on Russian history. And the professor was brilliant in all of this subject. And he'd been there, and there was a coup against Gorbachev at one point. They tried to get rid of him, and it failed. And what was remarkable, that happened during the summer, I want to say, it must have been the summer of 89, must have been the summer of 1990, I think. It must have been 1990. And he, in that class, I had taken this class in the spring of 1990, and he said, there's going to be a coup against Gorbachev. I don't know if he will survive it. And he named, this professor named the guys who were going to do it. And he nailed it. He got it exactly right. It was amazing. I remember I was at home, and I went and I got my notes for that class. We used to have to take notes and, like, write stuff down. We didn't really have recorders, and we didn't have computers. Nobody had that. Uh, we had computers. They, were, they weighed 700 pounds, and they had to stay home. I had, like, one of the original portable computers. Did you ever have one of these things? It was 
a huge computer, this huge block. You could barely carry it, and you'd attach the keyboard, full-size keyboard, to the front of it, and you'd have to latch it on like a piece of luggage and just keep it on there. And you couldn't take it to class or school or anything. It didn't make any sense. That just happened to be the computer I had. It was portable, but not at all portable. Uh, I think it weighed 120 pounds, for real. It was crazy. Anyway, that was my computer in college. How how old am I making myself? But they had Windows when I was in college. I just I just didn't benefit from one of those uh, machines. Anyway, um, this professor actually did predict who would do this 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 coup. Now, this kind of prediction is not one that is fanciful or just you know you know off the cuff or a bad reading of of scripture or history. This professor had been there and he studied and he knew these guys. He pointed them out and he got it exactly right. Gorbachev survived that coup, and, and a big part of it was because the people were behind him, because they supported his his changes. And let me tell you what uh, my memory, maybe you've got a memory of that period of time. Gorbachev probably isn't your, your hero um, at all, but it was, a, it was a different time. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. The number is 888-528-2557 if you want to join the conversation. You can also send me an email at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. So maybe one of the best clips I could find, you know, any, any clip of Gorbachev speaking, it would be in Russian or there'd be some translator. But President Reagan at the time, you know, last hour we talked about unifying the, the, the country. And I played some of Carter's speech that he gave that was, you know, not well received and he didn't do well. Reagan, you know, if you, if you want some hope that we can be united as a country, we were very divided in the end of the 1970s. 1980-81. We were divided over Vietnam. We were divided over Watergate. We were, we, Carter was correct to say that we had lost our confidence in our direction. Well, Reagan in four years brought it back. You can criticize him all you want to, but then he gets reelected with 525 electoral votes, like almost all of them. He only lost Minnesota. And that was his opponent's home state, which he, which Walter Mondale barely won. And uh, he lost Washington, D.C., because there are no Republicans in Washington, D.C. Uh, that was it. And he, and he won 59 percent of the popular vote. Think about that. 59. It's one of uh, it might be short of Washington, one of the uh, highest. I think that uh, Lyndon Johnson got more uh, of the popular vote. That might be it. Um, maybe Roosevelt, FDR, his second term. I haven't looked all that up, but it's one of the largest popular vote victories ever. It was an overwhelming victory. And yeah, okay, so there's 40% of the people who didn't vote for you, but there's always a group of people who are always going to oppose you for different reasons. But you you really could say we were united as a country. He was able to say morning in America and you know blah, blah, blah. And that should give you some hope that wherever we're at now, in a few years, we could be in a much better place. We've been there before. One of the things that Reagan is most famous for is a speech he gave in Berlin and in this speech, the Berlin Wall was still up. I had the privilege, really, the, the great, in a blessing, I think, to actually go to Berlin before that wall came down. I got to see it, and I got to go into East Berlin, which is, which was a very incredible life lesson, how different it was from one side of that wall to another. If you are a person today who is persuaded by arguments for socialism or communism— uh, you wouldn't be if you were around back then. If you got to go in a bus across Checkpoint Charlie and go into East Berlin and check it out the way I did, even as a teenager, you would not be in favor of that form of government. 
And what we had seen over time is that form of government fail in so many ways. And in this speech in, in Germany, which was the center of the Cold War, you have, if you're not familiar with the geography, Berlin, if you go look at a map, you see a unified Germany today, but there used to be East and West Germany. And in East Germany, there was, is the city of Berlin, and they, but Berlin after World War II was divided up uh, and it had two sides, a western side and an eastern side. The Soviets controlled the eastern side. And the um, west, led by the United States, the western side. But western Berlin was surrounded by East Berlin uh, or surrounded by East Germany. And because the conditions were so bad on East Germans, they would, they would walk across the border, kind of like what we have here, right? They come across the border because they wanted freedom. And there you could just get into the city. If you could get to the west side, you might be able to defect. You might be able to get that freedom. So the Soviets put up a wall, and the wall surrounded all of West Berlin, and that's the Berlin Wall. Today, you can go see parts of it right here in Southern California. There's probably a few other places, but there's a big piece of it at the Reagan Library in Simi Valley. There's another big piece of it at the Nixon Library in Yorba Linda. Uh, I imagine there's a couple of pieces of it. And it's a, it's a profound piece of history. And if you experienced it while it was up, if you ever saw it while it was up, it was a dark, a very sad monument to what was going wrong in the world and what the Cold War was really about. Uh, it was very significant. Anyway, so, so Reagan goes over there to West Berlin and in front of the Brandenburg Gate that's still there, you maybe have seen the monument. Uh, it's, it's tall with pillars, and, and uh, it was on the East Berlin side. The wall was in front of it. And Reagan gives a speech, and there's a famous line in it, which I'll play for you in a second. The famous line is, Mr. Gorbachev, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. There's a great story about all of that, too, because his, you know, Reagan's handlers, his political advisors, never really liked it when he went out there and got bold on things. And the, the irony is that when and Reagan, he was told not to give that speech that way, to not tell Gorbachev to tear down the wall. And he did it anyway. And it turned out to be incredibly powerful and incredibly great moment. And when I went over there, it was shortly after that. It was the summer after that. That happened in 1987. I think it was in there in 88. And you could still feel it. The people there were still talking about it. The Germans were talking about how important that speech was a year later. And you could go and stand there. And the tour guide we had was saying, this is where Reagan gave this great speech. And this is how we all felt about it. But a piece that maybe you don't hear about that speech is that Reagan takes the time to describe the darkness of communism and how rough it's been and why freedom needs to be given the people of East Berlin. But then he starts to talk about changes that Gorbachev had been making. And he says, basically, are these changes that you're making because you're moving towards freedom? Or are these changes you're making just to build yourself some political capital? Well, the way to prove it, Mr. Gorbachev, ultimately, is you tear down the wall. And that would really signal. This is what uh, Reagan said. And now, now the Soviets themselves may, in a limited way, Becoming to understand the importance of freedom. We hear much from Moscow about a new policy of reform and openness. Some political prisoners have been released. Certain foreign news broadcasts are no longer being jammed. 
Some economic enterprises have been permitted to operate with greater freedom from state control. Are these the beginnings of profound changes in the Soviet state, or are they token gestures intended to raise false hopes in the West or to strengthen the Soviet system without changing it? We welcome change and openness, for we believe that freedom and security go together, that the advance of human liberty the advance of human liberty can only strengthen the cause of world peace. There is one sign that the Soviets can make that would be unmistakable, that would advance dramatically the cause of freedom and peace. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, Come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. This is a German audience in West Berlin, full of Americans who worked there also. Mr. Gorbachev. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It may be one of the greatest lines of any president ever. That whole speech is excellent. I'm one of those nerds who goes and, you know, if you ever go to a presidential library or any museum with me, you know, drive separately because I'm going to read everything. I'm going to listen to all the speeches. I'm that guy. Um, it was a great moment, but it also was something that he communicated to Gorbachev. Now, the the thing that I want to say here that really matters, thinking about this, and if you're just joining us, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev passed away today, um, and uh, he's such a significant figure in uh, Cold War history, in United States history, that you're going to see this on the news a lot. You know, President Reagan was told not to say that line about tear down the wall. They were afraid he might, you know, stoke some kind of anger. But it was the right thing to say. President Reagan, earlier in his presidency, at the beginning of his presidency, was told not to call the Soviet Union the focus of evil in the modern world. And people thought, you can't say evil. You can't say it's evil. Well, you know, evil is a it's a incredible political word because it translates very properly into any language of the world. Sometimes things are lost in translation, right? But when you call something or somebody evil, that translates really well in any language. And so they were not afraid that they would misinterpret what he's saying. They were afraid that they would interpret correctly what he's saying, that the Soviet Union is the focus of evil in the modern world. Reagan, I think, was right about that. And historians now grapple with something. Reagan went from calling them evil to being personal friends with the final Soviet leader, Gorbachev. They became friends. He went from, you guys are evil, to you guys are friends, to now we're friends. It's a great story when you get into all of that. And here is the, maybe a point to make here. We've talked about division in our world today and how we're kind of against each other. And we got people on each side calling each other evil. It is possible to go from evil to friendship. This is what Jesus did for us, by the way. You know, the battle that uh, was happening on the cross was God and us. 
We were the ones who deserved that punishment. We were the ones that God is angry with. We were the ones who should have received God's wrath. Instead, he poured it out on Jesus, who lived the perfect life on our behalf, who paid the penalty for our sins. And now we are called friends. He will call us friends, John tells us. We can go from a relationship with God where we are separate, when we are evil, by and being called evil by the one who determines what evil is, God. And now through Jesus Christ, we are friends. Those kinds of friendships, those kinds of things happen when, when the truth is revealed. And God has revealed his truth to us in, in Jesus Christ. God has revealed his truth to us in the Bible. Do you believe it's true? It's one thing to believe in Jesus. It matters to believe in Jesus. Do you also believe Jesus? Do you believe his words to be true when he says, pray for those who persecute you and love your enemy, those kinds of things? Jesus is right about that. You need to know that if you're feeling like, you know, we're just, you're just too far apart from God or you're too far apart from somebody else, there is healing that comes from the living God. There is healing in, of relationship first and foremost and infinitely more important with him. And there is healing that happens through him with your friends, with your colleagues, with your kids, with your parents. It's all possible. And it's possible when we speak the truth and we do it with mutual respect, or even you have to build the mutual respect, but you have to start being respectful. And it comes along. And that can be a really, really great thing. I got to take a break. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. You can also email me at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. I'll be back in just a moment as the Tuesday edition of SoCal Live continues. You're listening to SoCal Live with Scott Furrow on 99.5 KKLA. Text Scott right now in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Scott Furrow, great to be with you. Breaking news is that Mikhail Gorbachev, the final leader of the Soviet Union, passed away today. And uh, we talked about that a little bit in the first section. I, I... indicated that I would talk about this other other side of it. It's not really another side of anything. It's another story. And it's just a reminder, I think, for, for those of us who are, are believers, maybe you don't know this, and hopefully it's, it's sort of old enough that whatever embarrassment that might have caused before is gone. But looking into the, the future, these things happen all the time. And what it is, is we need to not prophesy things that, we, that are not true. That should just seem pretty simple, but people prophesy, there's a book written, a couple of books written that say definitively that Gorbachev is the Antichrist, that Gorbachev is Gog and Magog, that that's who he is, that the the birthmark on his head, and I'm going to show you some of this in a minute, is a symbol of uh, the dragon and a whole lot of different things from the book of Revelation. And, you know, this comes up in in Christianity once in a while, somebody make some very specific predictions. And I want to caution us. I think it's wise to be aware of what the scriptures say about the end times. The reason we have prophecies about the end times are so that people who are around during those times have something to look at so they recognize what's going on. Okay, and people have different you know views of it. If the church is uh, removed 
through a rapture before then, well, the Bibles will still be here. People people are going to notice a whole bunch of people gone. All right, so people will go to the Bible and they'll read this and they'll go, oh, and they will understand what's going on. Uh, it's written really for them. It's also written to give us hope that there is a plan that one day all this will come to the end. That's going to happen. When Jesus is asked about it, Mark chapter 13, 32, he says, you know, when's the, when's the last day? I guess if I were with Jesus, I would probably ask him, right? I would probably say, uh, hey, when are you coming back? I'll bet they had all kinds of conversation. I'm sure that they did, right? Because I think one of the reasons that you will notice a consistency with what Peter writes and, and what you see Paul write and what John ultimately would write in the book of Revelation, there's a consistency that is in part because they did ask these questions. John tells us in the Gospel of John that uh, Jesus said did so many things and said, did so much stuff that there's not enough books to record all of it, right? We, we barely have. I mean, think about this for a minute. Jesus Christ is the most significant person in all of history. No doubts there. The most influential, the most known in all of history. And what we have is about 56 days of his life recorded and only snippets of those days. Only a few things he did. I mean, wow. That's because he's the son of God. He's the savior. He's God. He rose again from the dead. There are eyewitnesses of this. If if all of that is true, then of course, you yeah, have 56 days and snippets of those days is enough. But in between, there's all kinds of other things. You find that Jesus Christ, when he's, when he's asked about this, he says, but the hour or day, nobody knows, not the angels in heaven or the son, but only the father. And we have to be very careful about connecting dots. Okay. When we look at the end times, many people think we're living it now, but people have always thought this. Um, I think there's a whole lot, it's a lot easier to speculate about it now. It's a lot easier to be tempted to tempt to connect the dots. And maybe that's right, but you got to be very careful, especially when you're saying that this is something that, um, God is doing. Um, that's taking the Lord's name in vain to say that God is saying something that he's not saying at the same time. Uh, it's worth uh, taking a look at. So people thought Gorbachev was the Antichrist uh, if he doesn't come back in three days uh, to announce that he is the guy whose fatal wound has been healed. Some people think that the Antichrist one day will be known because he is murdered or dies or has something happen. Um, Revelation talks about a fatal wound that is healed. Uh, does that mean he was killed and he came back to life? Does that mean, is it a political wounding? So some people have said, well, Gorbachev, he took a political wounding because the Soviet Union collapsed and he had to just hide out. Um, but maybe he comes back politically, right? What does that mean? A lot of speculation. Well, he, he's died now and uh, there are, are books about it. Maybe I'll get to that in a second. I want to get to your calls. This is Southern California Live, 888-528-2557 is the number. Janet Montclair, welcome to Southern California Live. Hi. Um, I just wanted to say that I admired Gorbachev for um, being willing and able to make some of the changes that he did, and he likely could have felt angry and humiliated by being called out like he was by President Reagan, but I think he demonstrated humility um, in the way that he later related to Reagan and the West and other world leaders, so, so I always admired him for that. Yeah, I think that is something to to look at. I mean, we came from a time in history where, you know, Khrushchev said of the United States that we're going to bury you, right? I mean, it was just a hostile relationship. 
Um, he was hostile to Vice President Richard Nixon when he was the vice president and probably made him president because they got in an argument in public and people it was it was on film and Nixon did pretty well holding his own. But that was the animosity that our countries had toward each other. And the, the fact that an American president and a Soviet leader could become friends, actually. Gorbachev came to Reagan's funeral. Um, and, I mean, that's a, it's a powerful thing about, I think, the capability we have of, of humans, the way God made us, to get past our differences, even when we, they still had them. I mean, Gorbachev was critical of the United States, you know, as far as I know, till the end of his life, you know, in, in so many ways. And I think it's a testament to approaching people in any reason, but especially when you are adversaries, to do it in kindness. That's what he would say about Ronald Reagan is that he was so kind that even when he was saying things that angered Gorbachev, Gorbachev, like you said, is, was angry at the things that uh, President Reagan said. You know, they, they famously had a summit where Reagan stormed out and uh, there was – you know, they didn't come to an agreement in uh, Reykjavik, Iceland, one time. And they had so much respect for each other, I think, because they were truthful and they were also kind. I think it went both ways. You know, kindness is just a powerful thing, even at that stage, right? World leaders at that, you know, nuclear powers threatening each other for decades, they became friends. It's a, it's a great story and a great testament to why the way we speak matters, that kindness accomplishes things, that, yeah. that it brings us together. Kindness isn't a cop-out, right? It's not saying, uh, you know, being kind and encouraging and is not, I'm compromising on the truth. I don't think Reagan did that. The reason Reagan walked out of that, of that summit is because Reagan had promised that he wouldn't give up on what was called Star Wars at the time, not the movie. Um, it was, it was basically weapons that uh, Reagan was saying we were going to develop to put in space to shoot down Soviet nuclear missiles. And a lot of people believe that's what ultimately bankrupted the Soviet Union, that they just couldn't maintain that. Reagan had promised the American people that he wouldn't give that up, and Gorbachev wanted him to give it up. He didn't. He left. But that also impressed Gorbachev. There's a whole bunch of stories there. But kindness, speaking well, boldly, and truthfully, and truthfully, these things work in our relationships yeah. at any level. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Janet, thank you very much for your call. Appreciate that. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. I was talking about um, the, the idea that Gorbachev is the Antichrist. Here's some stuff. that come, This comes from uh, the Washington Post in 1988. And uh, this is what people, some Christians were saying. Not all Christians, not even most Christians, but it was a thing. It, it created, if you were around, you, there was enough conversation about it, okay? There was a group of Christians who were prepared to argue and argue and did argue and wrote that Gorbachev was the Antichrist, that he was Mr. 666 himself, this article says. And a guy named Robert W. Fade or Fide, F-A-I-D, um, he held a master's degree in theology from Coatesville Bible College and the author of a book called A Scientific Approach to Christianity. He argued that Gorbachev was the Antichrist in his book, that Gorbachev fulfilled all of the biblical prophecies about the Antichrist. And uh, he warned President Reagan. He said President Reagan has no idea who he's talking to. And the evidence says he's the Antichrist. And he even says this. He says, take the matter of the birthmark on Gorbachev's head to Faid if that's how you say his name, Fade, 
to him, that's not just an ordinary birthmark. It is the mark of Satan. And, you know, this, when you, when you take a look at, at what was happening, it didn't make any sense, but there was an awful lot of followers out there. Can I ask you this question? Are there things that preachers or teachers are saying that are making very distinct claims of not just the end times, but of anything? What I mean is, is are, do you know people or do you follow people who make a lot of prophecies about the future, about the politics, or about anything? And by prophecy, I don't mean speculations. I don't mean, gosh, I think this, or predictions. You know, I like to make predictions of who's going to win elections and things, but I'm not telling you that God told me. I'm talking about people who tell you that God told them something, and then that turns out to be false. Don't follow those people. Now, maybe they will apologize stuff. In the Old Testament, you would stone them, right? You'd, uh, uh, that doesn't mean give them drugs. You would take a rock and you would hit them in the head with it, okay? And that was, that's what you would do with those people because they were lying. Uh, there's a whole lot in Scripture, too, about God not liking it that people take his name in vain. You ever have your kids take your name in vain? Well, mom said I could do it. When he never talked to mom, this happens before. That's why I always say to my kids, uh, what did your mom say? Did you ask your mom? And she always says that to them, you know, what'd your dad say? Did you ask your dad? You know, and we just send the kids back and forth up and down the stairs. And, you know, I send uh, Johnny back to mom, go ask your mom again. Well, I already did. Well, go ask her again. And then I shout out to Christy, 15, love my serve again. And then we just do that. People do that with God all the time. Oh, God, God told me these things. And, you know, when they get you to take action, when, and especially when we're talking about the end times and stuff, be really careful. There's a lot of great stuff out there right now about end time stuff, some really good books. We're going to have maybe a couple of guests talk about their stuff here. But you're going to notice that they, they are very careful to not connect too many dots. They're very careful to, to not say, God told me this. They are, they are pointing out for the reason of our hope that, hey, this could be that. You know, this could be significant. When I look at the Bible, you know, there's an argument to be made, Putin's invasion of Ukraine. There's a whole bit in, in Ezekiel where you look at that and you go, gosh, this looks like that. Might be, might not be. I'm not going to tell you it is for sure, but I'm going to tell you to go read that and go, you tell me, you know, that it may not be, but it, it fits. And that's okay. But to say, we have to be really careful as Christians that if we're going to say that God is saying something, it's got to fit with Scripture, and then it also has to fit with reality. And if it turns out that it's not true— then there's a huge problem. All right. I'm going to take a break. The number, if you want to join the conversation, is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. This is the Tuesday edition of SoCal Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. I'll be back as the Tuesday edition continues. Too nervous to go live on the radio with Scott Furrow? Then share your thoughts on the SoCal Live voicemail at 213-537-3812. That's 213-537-3812. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Great to be with you today. The number is 888-528-2557. I am Scott Furrow. Always good to be with you. Uh, Did you ever run for class president when you were in school? Did you ever run for office? You know, your little, your school, you know, sometimes there's a school council or, or other stuff. Um, I, uh, I, I did, and I'm thinking about it because my son, my 10 year old son is running at his school and he's running for multimedia coordinator. Now in my day, we didn't have a multimedia coordinator because we didn't have multimedia. We had, <laughs> We had slide projectors, right, that only the teacher could cut. You can, you know, pull your fingers off in that crazy thing. 
and uh, that contraption there, it would move around. Wasn't that the greatest thing though as a kid? It's, I know it's still the same now when you walk in and you see that the uh, the uh, DVD player is out or somebody's going to play something. I guess now you probably just stream your, your video in class. You know, we used to have that little machine that was a film strip. I don't even understand how that works, but you'd put a little, you know, kind of a roll of film through it and click a little button and it would play. And uh, we had projectors that you would put in the back. That was always awesome. Well, there's some other kind of multimedia that he's going to be in charge of. And uh, so he's running, and I'm helping him run for that. We're making the flyers, and we're doing all that. And I'm telling him, you know, you're new at the school, and, you know, don't try to set expectations, right? That, uh, you know, that probably somebody else will win, but remember you're running for next year, right? Next year, everybody will know you. What you're doing now is name recognition. And I said, it's just like most of the people who run for president of the United States really are running for vice president. They're just running for or they're running for the next time. Right. They're hoping to win the vice presidential sweepstakes uh, because they don't think they're really going to win. And they're hoping maybe to run in the next time around and they'll have more name recognition. There's a lot of reasons why people run. I said, so that's why you're running here. You're running for for next year. I don't want to get his feelings hurt, you know, or get discouraged if he loses his first time out. It feels terrible to lose. Um, because you think, ah, oh, people didn't vote for me. You know, nobody likes me. Your head does all this kind of stuff, right? So I'm trying to prepare him for that. And um, so we're writing a little speech, and somebody told me, I wish I would have thought about this, but that he ought to run. It's a private school. We're blessed that he's able to go there. We get some help so that he can. And, uh, you know, what I thought is what he ought to run on is he ought to say, uh, I'm going to give you a refund on your tuition payments, and we're going to pay for it using parents who go to some other school. Just a silly you know, joke with what's going on with student loans. You probably could have used that. See, the, the only thing is, is that only his teachers would understand that. The rest of the kids wouldn't, so we probably shouldn't do that. And, uh, you know, I ran for president, for class president in the eighth grade. I had a small class, only 15 people. 15 people in our class, only three girls in the class. And uh, I thought I was some popular kid. So I run for eighth grade and I go around and, you know, when there's only 15 people, you can you can have pretty accurate polling if you go around and you ask the kids, you know, who you're going to vote for. And uh, so I was very certain that I was going to win over my opponent. My opponent, her name was Kaylee. And I was I talked to everybody in the class, all the guys, there's 12 guys, three girls. And I thought, well, the three girls are going to vote for her. And, uh, you know, the guys, well, you know, they're all my friends and they promised that they would vote for me. I underestimated something, though. Every guy in the class liked her. And uh, so they all told me they're going to vote for me. I felt sorry for her because I liked her also. And uh, so I voted for her and I lost by one vote. I'm not even making that up. I, you know, so I'm not too sure you should vote for your opponent. I used to think that was the gracious thing to do. I'm not so sure. In a small class, you know, I, they didn't run everybody at the same time. There's not enough people. So then I ran for vice president, and I won that. But who cares? You know, the, you know what the eighth grade vice president gets to do? Nothing. Not a thing. And, you know, I think today, excuse me, today, maybe uh, however many years later, decades later, I think this is the first time I've even told that story. Because who cares? I mean, the voting for her kind of is funny, but uh, I think I've probably told that story. But I don't think I've ever added the part where I got to be vice president because it meant nothing. Um, anyway, uh, so good luck to, uh, to Johnny. I hope that you, you hope that you win. Maybe you pull it off. But you know, I'm preparing him for for sixth grade. He's in fifth grade. I'm preparing him for the sixth grade where he'll know people. He'll have run before. We don't even know what people are going to do. We don't know how fancy the posters are. We don't know what the speeches are like. 
I mean, is he going to give some kind of regular speech and then Napoleon Dynamite's going to come out afterward with some awesome dance and just blow him away? That could happen. We have no idea. Did you see that movie? That's one of my favorite movies ever. And that's, that scene where Napoleon Dynamite, if you haven't seen that movie, it's it's worth it. Half of you are going to love it. The other half of you aren't going to hate it. It's one of those movies, but totally worth it. 888-528-2557. And uh, we have been talking about politics a little bit today. I wanted to lighten it up with that story there. Gorbachev's death uh, today, breaking news. Uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, the last leader of the Soviet Union, passed away today. And uh, I asked maybe if you had some thoughts about that. Let's go to uh, JT from Hermosa Beach. Welcome to Southern California Live. Hey, um, yeah, thanks for having me on. You know, you uh, you did what um, Warren Duffy and Frank Pastore and, uh, and um, Frank Sontag did. You play great bumper music and that song by Marlena Shaw. There's an example of uh, an era where you had great singers like her, that version of California Soul, which... Uh, you know, the fifth dimension had a hit with, um, mm. and that was back in the days when California was nothing like what it is now, absolutely nothing what it was like now, seriously. And it's sad that people don't have a sense of history. I'll get to Gorbachev, how things were then if they weren't alive and they think everything was the same, but it was a lot better. It wasn't perfect, but it was better, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. They were. What, uh, yeah. what is the speech that uh, you're reminded of? Uh, when Kennedy spoke at the Berlin Wall and said, uh, Ich bin ein Berliner, yes. that was a great speech. A great and speech. Great speech. I think that Kennedy and Reagan were better speakers than, than, the, than, the, uh, than the presidents that have followed. I mean, I'm serious. Uh, they, didn't, they had their flaws, but they didn't make clowns of themselves publicly, and they had a smoothness when they spoke. And when they spoke, they could, Nixon was a good speaker, too, they could... You know, they could, without missing a beat, they would they would um, make an emph- emphasize something with a you know point with a hand gesture, and then go right back to to the point they were making without stumbling. You know, yeah. And they they didn't go around attacking people and call, name calling and and uh, cussing and engaging in this kind of infantilism like we've seen with presidents and non presidents, Democrat and Republican, which is really a shame. You know, it really is sad. Um, you know, I was reading about Gorbachev. Was looking to see if he was a Christian, and uh, there are some interesting articles that seem to dovetail that in later years he admitted to becoming a Christian. And I had heard this, and uh, he had denied that originally, saying, you know, like in 2008, I'm an atheist. But uh, in the 14 years since then, he had he had had, he had a long, um, you know, mm-hmm. change of heart about this. And I think he and Reagan even talked about it. Reagan was not shy about you know talking yeah. about that in a very calm way. So. Um, and I had heard that uh, Eisenhower had talked to Khrushchev, and Khrushchev's son, uh, grandson had said that he had become a Christian before he died. If that's true, then that would be interesting. These would be the two lone Russian leaders that had become that. But I think there's some evidence that points to the fact that they um, that could be. And you might look that up on the Internet yourself and Google and look at some of those articles yourself and see what you think. You yeah, I, I will look that up. I, I recall reading something about that maybe at one time. I thank you for reminding me about that. It's uh, Thank you for your call, JT. I think that it's a, uh, you know, I just, that's what the world is about, people getting saved, not people getting elected or people winning political battles or other stuff, right? It's about people getting saved. Like I, You know, when, let's say that that's true, right, that Reagan shared the gospel and Reagan could speak the gospel very clearly. Um, he was—he didn't always do that, but he was able to do it. You can find speeches. Uh, you know, he would do it in the right context, or at least in the context he felt was right at national prayer breakfasts and stuff. He could put out that put that out very, very clearly. 
I know that his pastor asked him point blank about it one time, and he responded with the gospel. Why do you think you're going to heaven? And he said, because I've got a Savior, and explained that Jesus died for him. You know, whenever we stand before Jesus, what he's going to care about, when Ronald Reagan stood before Jesus Christ, the question, it's not going to be, oh, you know, impressive. You were president. You were president for eight years. You got 525 electoral votes. Wow. The question is going to be, um, man, there's great stories about Reagan and we're going to be out of time here, but the question is going to be the same thing, you know, uh, hey, you know, what did you, what do you believe? And, and if Reagan said that, you know, why should I let you in here? And if the question, if the answer is because Jesus is my savior, he died for me and rose again, that's the right answer. And then I think whenever you're sitting there and you're you're having your life played for you and you're maybe being judged at the Bema seat or whatever, it's not being president. It's, hey, this guy got saved because of you. You know, what if Gorbachev did get saved and they are being reunited today? And what would be known is, hey, you wouldn't know this in your life because you died, but I accepted Christ later. Those are the things that matter, by the way, in our life. Though That's what matters to God. You know, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you in prison, well, when you did the least of these things, right? The, the things that we do to help people come to Christ, the good things that we do, the, the, we're not saved by those things. We're saved because of Jesus. But what we're called to do as believers, the evidence of our faith is how we treat other people. JT is right. The, you know, Reagan and Kennedy and some people, they just have amazing abilities to communicate. That's why Reagan was the great communicator, Right? That's what his nickname would be, you know, probably historically. He would be known as that because he was a great communicator. He, it was amazing. And he was an actor. He was trained that way. He had natural gifts and he was trained. He wasn't that great of an actor, but he could say stuff. But when he stands before Jesus, it's not, hey, you're the great communicator. It's what did you communicate? And were you about loving people? Were you about the gospel? There's a lot of great stories uh, there, and really all that's up to Jesus, and that's up to Jesus for you and me as well. I got to go. This is Southern California Live. Thank you for listening, everybody. It's a pleasure to be with you every single day, weekdays, 3 to 5, right here. I'm Scott Furrow. I'll be back tomorrow for the Wednesday edition of SoCal Live. God bless. Have a great night. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.